Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Hello. Before we begin, Seek Forgiveness is raising money for the book project Mental Health Kihundahe to raise awareness for mental health issues for Sikh and Punjabi communities, complete with translations. You can donate to the GoFundMe page and the link is in the show notes, so even if you can't, please share it with social media and help us to tackle mental health issues and stigmas in Sikh and Punjabi communities. In today's episode, I speak to Dr. Meenal Viz to speak to her about her life and experiences as someone in the diaspora who trained to be a medical doctor. Meenal talks about her experiences of discovering her family roots and what that meant for her as a person from the South Asian diaspora, navigating her way through multiple identities. Meenal also hosts her own podcast, Meenal's World, where she spends time speaking about her thoughts and her experiences as life as a doctor. Please take some time out and listen to and subscribe to her podcast if you can. We'll leave a link in the show notes. At the moment, Meenal is on the front line as a doctor in the NHS, and she's part of the massive effort to fight against COVID-19 coronavirus and the pandemic, and we wish her all the best in this fight. On that note, please remember, keep your distances, wash your hands frequently, and look after yourselves as we keep on the fight against coronavirus. So, Meenal, if you can, tell me a little bit about who you are. Mm. Well, Jazz, it's, very, it's a very difficult question to, to answer because um, I could go on uh, for a while because I've moved around quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah. um, just to cut a long story short, um, I was born and raised in Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents moved from Delhi about... 40 years ago to Gibraltar and uh, I was born and raised there. Uh, I did my schooling and everything there and then I studied medicine in Prague and then I moved to London to work as a doctor and in between you know my my, my schooling years and my studying years I, I did a lot I made a lot of trips to India. Um, I tried to stay connected with with who I was and my roots, uh, especially, you know, going back with my parents to meet my grandparents and family. Uh, it was a very important part of my life, actually, uh, mm. because being raised in Gibraltar, I had an identity as a British citizen. And then going to Prague uh, in Czech Republic, uh, you know, I had to learn that language as well. And I had to fit into that community and culture. Uh, you know, I... I also had to, so that developed a, a new sort of idea for me that, well, where am I actually from? And, mm. you know, what's my identity actually? Yeah. Uh, considering that my ancestors came from Pakistan and, you know, then they moved to India after partition. Then I was in Gibraltar. Then I moved to Prague. Now I'm back in London. Um, you know, this whole idea of identity was always something that lurked in back of my mind, actually. Yeah, and I thought it was really important to sort of figure out who I was, uh, who I am, and what I want for myself and my future. Uh, in terms, not even just for myself, but my family as well. So, during my time in medical school, I I worked quite a lot on figuring out, you know, my my family's roots, uh, our culture. So we're we're actually Hindu Punjabi, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I spent a lot of time reading up on. Uh, even like Sikhism and Hinduism and you know it kind of the the best way for me to do that was to talk about it actually I felt like if I tried to figure out by myself then maybe that wouldn't be the best way and that's when I started my my own podcast which was Desi which was Desi Outsiders um, a few Mm -hmm. years ago Um, and now Mm -hmm. I'm launching Lino's World in a couple of weeks which is sort of a branch of it 
And my whole last last few years, my whole aim is just trying to figure out who we are actually. Just be, you know, because we we're even with yourself, we're British Asian, but you know, how British are we? How Asian are we? Uh, yeah. And also, how Asian do we have to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, say, to qualify, mm. uh, I know it's not as easy and it's not as uh, clear as we would like it to be. Um, and everyone will have, and the, the 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 beautiful thing is that everyone has their own unique identity, and that's something we should definitely celebrate more of, actually. Um, but this is my my goal to to figure out who I am, and it might it might take years, and I'm happy for it to take years because I think there's so much to learn about ourselves and our our family history, actually. Yeah. And also to give people that opportunity to, to sort of think about it a little bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you're born in the States or you're born in Dubai or wherever you're born, just uh, sort of think, well, what's my role as a Hindu or even whatever faith you're from or whatever background you're from? What's my role currently at this age, but also what responsibility do I have mm-hmm. uh, to moving forward? Because I know my kids are going to be raised in a British environment and a British society, but I also want to make sure that it doesn't our Hindu roots don't sort of get diluted as we yeah. go along. Is, um there's so much beauty in where we come from that mm. I want to keep that as alive as I can. So what insights did you find about your own identity? Well, I I had to speak to my, my, my parents a lot, actually. And um, this whole Hindu Punjabi thing was also a bit of a question for me. I mean, it, does, it never made sense to me. Like either you're Hindu or you're Punjabi or you either go to Gurdwara, you either go to a temple. Um, and that I never really understood why we would go to both. Um, and I was like, as a, as a, as a big mouth, when I was like a teenager, I was like, why, why don't we just go to the church? Why don't we just go to the mosque? You know, if we're, we're going to different temples of faith, then Mm -hmm. why are these two specifically? Um, so I actually found out that my, my father's great grandfather was born in Lahore in Pakistan. Right. And they were Sikhs. So they were the Pagri, they were the turbans, and they went to Gurdwara. They they followed Sikhism, actually. Yeah. And down the line, so my grandfather married a Hindu. So at one, I don't know where exactly, but I think at some point, um, we let go of some of the uh, traditions of Sikhism, which is like wearing a turban, uh, growing our hair, all of these things sort of started to get like sort of we, our family sort of let go of it because we were becoming more Hindu, especially after the partition, yeah. when uh, my my grandparents had to move to a very remote area in Delhi. So my father was actually raised by his grandfather who, ta- who taught him about Sikhism and Guru Nanak Ji and took him to the Gurdwara. But then also at home, you know, we they followed the Hindu faith. Yeah. And it was quite a similar story on my mother's side as well. And it actually real I actually realized that it was a partition that sort of created this new <laughs> you could say new sort of uh, identity as a Hindu Punjabi where yeah. we speak Punjabi, we come from the villages in Punjab, come from Lahore, uh, you know, these sorts of areas. But throughout the history of our family, we've married the you know women have come in who've been Hindu, and then we mm. followed that faith. Um, mm. And I think that's re- a really beautiful thing in itself because 
I've realized that my parents actually haven't let go of that part, you know, um, mm-hmm. they haven't let go of that. Uh, my, my, my dad has always said, I'm never going to forget what my grandfather taught me about the teachings of Guru Nanak Ji. And that's why he still goes to the Gurdwara. But then also yeah. at the same time, we, we go to the temple because that's what um, our grandmothers taught us. And that, that's when I actually realized that, you know, they're, they're trying to keep everything alive as much as they can. They don't want to let go of what they were raised with. And they're trying to pass on to us as much as, as they can. Um, and I, I have a dream that one day we go back to, on, to our ancestral home in, in Lahore. It's my dad's dream as well to go back to Pakistan mm-hmm. and see where, where he came from. Um, but this whole idea of having that sort of understanding and I guess you can say empathy and allowing my parents to feel this way came about because I was, I think it's because I, I was studying abroad myself. Right. When I was in Prague, away from my family, I sort of, even though I was away from them, I felt more connected to them because you yeah. don't want to let go of where you're from, you know. So um, how did how did you keep that connection alive? Well, it was it was quite difficult because uh, I, I I lived I didn't actually live in Prague. I lived about hundred kilometers away mm. in this very remote village area, actually. Um, our medical school had about, in total, in like, so it was six years and the total capacity I had for the six years of, of students was just about 150 to 200. And that's the number of people you see in one year in the UK, you know. Mm. So it was quite quite different in terms of the, the capacity of students um, and the, the the way that we had like our social events and everything. Um and when I was there, I realized that I was in such a different part of the world. And just remember that Czechoslovakia just recently come out of communism. I say recently, but it's been about 20 years or so, which is quite recent in like the history of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they were still starting to get used to the whole idea of having a new country. And people get, even people in Czech Republic just be, were getting, uh, trying to get a hold of the idea that brown people existed, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, these are brown people coming into a country to learn and to study and for them that was a big big deal you know they've never seen anything like that before um and when i saw we had people from norway from ghana from uh, nigeria botswana from all over the world and everyone had their own unique story and everyone said oh my dad came from here my mom came from here and i think just speaking to all these different people even speaking to the czech locals um, I I don't know what 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 it was, but there was something about me that said I need to figure this out. I need to know who I am. I need to know where I come from. And also, because going away, being away from home so much was so isolating, I felt like there had to be something in life to celebrate. And yeah. I think everything was my roots and my background, and something to be proud of. Because being away from home, not even just in a different country, but in a different society, in a different culture it's quite easy to sort of get detached from that. And yeah. I missed, I missed a lot of things. I missed a lot of things that we used to do at home, like wake up Sunday morning, you know, my, my dad would listen to a good bunny. My mom yeah. would, would pray with us in the morning. And I really missed all of that because it brought me a sense of, of peace and um, solidarity and said, you know, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. And, you know, as a child, when you, when you're growing up, you're like, Oh, I have to go to temple now. I have to, have to go to the mandir and I ha- and it just felt like a chore as a child but yeah it's 
when you go away from that, you realize that that actually makes you who you are. Yeah. And that makes part of your identity as, you know, being part of your family. So I, I, for the first couple of years, it was very difficult because I was trying to adjust into a new country and get, you know, hold of the idea that I'm actually very far away from home and trying to cope with my medical studies for the first couple of years. But it was after the first couple of years that I decided that I'm really going to make an effort to, to speak to my parents more and open more discussions and conversations and celebrate who we are. Because I don't think our parents have had that chance because they've just sort of left that country to work hard, work hard, work hard. That's all they've known to do, really. Yeah, yeah. And having these conversations was really nice because it sort of brought that sort of nostalgia back. And I think it also reminded my parents as well, actually, you know, we've come, we've come quite a long way from the partition to living in Delhi and then coming to Gibraltar. So I, I made sure I had that connection through my podcast by speaking to a lot of people, but also making sure that I... I, I open conversations with my parents. Mm. And did, you, did your parents ever listen to your podcast? <laughs> it's quite funny, actually, because <laughs> at the very beginning, when I first started it, I got so much backlash from everybody. Really? Uh, yeah, because uh, so I come from in, in Gibraltar, we have a small community of people. So the population of Gibraltar is about 30,000. Right. And the Hindu, Hindu community is about. At that, I mean, at that time, probably about three to four thousand. Um, so we have a relatively large community of of, of Hindus there, and yeah, it's a, yeah, about ten percent of the population. Yeah, and it's the yeah. kind of thing. Um, like, I'm not kidding, Jazz. If I ever put something on Facebook now, tomorrow my dad will hear of it from wow. someone. Okay. Um, because you know we have like our own, we everyone has their own little businesses. Everyone's walking down the same street because it's a tiny country. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's walking down the same street. My dad knows everybody because he's been there for the last 40 years. Um, right. okay. And when I first started the podcast, um, I did tell my parents about it and explain to them, but they didn't really understand what I was saying. They were just like, yeah, just do whatever you want. <laughs> just make right. sure you get good grades in medical school and like, that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't really understand what I was doing because they didn't understand my motive behind it. Um, and... The first few episodes I put out was about like arranged marriage. Uh, mm. It's like, why do we have to go into medicine or engineering? So I was actually talking about topics that were quite controversial, you know? Right. Uh, okay. And I came from, I come from a very, very traditional home. So yeah. we were never even allowed to talk about having a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, even just saying that word was like pop. Right. <laughs> <Can't okay>. <laughs> Um, uh, my mom would give me that look and I'd get really scared um, yeah. so having these conversations was was a big deal but the reason I did it through my podcast medium jazz was because I couldn't do it with my parents mm-hmm. I couldn't have these conversations growing up so for me to sort of talk into that microphone was was really therapeutic actually because I'm like finally I can talk about something and no one's judging me you know it's yeah. just going out and people can listen and people can take take what they want and people will be judging me but not directly to to my face as yeah. I talk about it. You know? right. yeah. um, so what had happened was that that time when I'd released everything, people were going to my dad's shop and like calling my actually physically picking up the phone and calling my mom and saying, what's your daughter doing? Why is she like saying this about us? And why is she saying this about our, our culture and our community and our society? And my parents blindly believe them because it's quite easy to do that when you get involved in that sort of hype and yeah. emotions. Like, what's my daughter doing? Like, what's going on? 
And I'm like, I, I said to my parents, I was like, hold on, just sit down and listen to it. Yeah. So were your, so, podcasts, were your podcasts very much like yourself and a guest or were you talking just about topics by yourself? How, how did you structure it? What was going on? So, so initially it started off with myself and, and a friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. She uh, she lives in Scotland, actually, and she's a blogger. Right. And we were having conversations with each other, like on Skype, like we're doing now. Yeah. We just talk about stuff and every week we'd release an episode and release, release, and we keep going. And then as we as we kept talking to each other, we realized, well, well, actually, maybe other people have the same ideas as us. So let's bring people in. Let's bring guests in. So yeah. I think it was about uh, three to four months on that we started bringing guests in and we started talking to other people um, about not just about their identity, their culture, their roots, but also with, with certain people, like their success stories, you know? How did yeah. they break out of the taboo of being a doctor, engineer, and then becoming a writer or a singer? Yeah. Um, so when I when I told my parents to sit down and listen to the episodes, I think they were, I think they were worried because they were like, "Well, we've never had these conversations with you. Why are you talking about it now? Like, what is what's gotten into you to?" They 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 saw it in a bad way. They thought I was actually bashing everyone right. and. Saying, things about our society and culture when actually that wasn't the case that wasn't my at all it's complete opposite um so my parents didn't really like it at the beginning um and it was only until like i was getting towards my final year of medical school where they saw the guests i was getting on and the the people i was talking to and they were listening back they were like wow Neil, that was a really good interview yeah it's only when they realized that actually neil's neil's quite good at what she's doing and she's spreading a good message and she's spreading a, a you know, po- everything that is quite positive. And also, remember, I was also balancing medical school at the same time. Yeah. So I think they they were quite proud in the sense that, okay, our daughter is trying to be beyond than just being a doctor, you know? She's trying to be successful in ways that we couldn't be because mm. our parents were always the, with the idea that we have to just study, get a job, earn money and then feed our families but it's only now that my parents are are, are supportive actually and they're, they're the ones telling us that you know you have potential to do more than just being a doctor you've got more potential than just being an engineer being a doctor yeah. for you is just your nine to five yeah but if you really want to be great if you really want to be the best if you really want to make a change in the world if you really want to do seva in the community what what can you actually do and i think they've started to realize that the podcast is my medium of serving the community because I can do that in the hospital, but because I'm under this like NHS and this system and I've got managers, I can't do things on my own accord. Yeah. So I yep. feel restricted in what I do. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we had uh, the, the, when we spoke last week, just before we got onto this call now today, you know, I did say that the whole idea is doing Seva and serving people. And I think something like this, like a podcast is, is one great way because it's just you talking and people can pick up what they want. And hopefully you can pick up, hopefully someone in, in India or in, in France, in Germany, someone will listen to it and it will help them because we didn't have this growing up as kids. Absolutely. And uh, the, the aim is now that we, if we can help a teenager who's struggling with their own identity, trying to figure out how can I be a good Hindu or a good Asian or British Asian, we can give them a few ideas. And, you know, I think, I think there's so much good, good in that and so much greatness in that. Mm. 
I, I agree completely. I agree completely. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about um, sort of your professional role. You mentioned that you're a doctor, so mm. but you're also a podcaster. So I, I think you touched on it a little bit, but maybe if you can expand on it a little bit more. What was it like for you training as a doctor? What is it like mm. for you? What are your interests in, in sort of how you go about doing your work and and then sort of how do you marry that with being a podcaster and, and the issues that you talk about as a podcaster? Well, um, so just, just to answer that question, I, I want to just go back to a bit about my, my life as um, a teenager, a child in Gibraltar, actually. It was very different to what it is living in the UK, even, even in Prague, actually. So if you imagine, <laughs> as a young girl, I was raised in the Mediterranean uh, by the beach, by the sun, um, I had a lot of freedom to just go out and play. Um, and sports was a big, big part of my life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So currently I, I represent Gibraltar in table tennis. So I play a lot of table tennis. Um, my brother himself is a, a, he's a triathlete. And he's, he's broken a lot of records in Gibraltar as well. So as two Indian kids in Gibraltar, my parents were like, how can we, how can we break boundaries as a family? Mm-hmm. Um it wasn't normal for like a brown girl to run a half marathon. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember Jazz, the first marathon I ran, I was 18 years old. I was, yeah. I was the only brown girl. My brother was the only brown guy. Um, Akil, so my brother Akil, um, he was very good at motivating me and helping me. So I remember he came, he came second in the men's category. I came first in the women's category. And I remember both of us taking a photo together and it came out in the newspaper and, you know, you saw the headline, uh, marathon winners, whatever. And you would expect like two Gibraltarians or two white people. Yeah. <laughs> and you have these two brown kids holding a trophy. Um, <laughs> okay. And that was like a big deal for my parents. You know, I remember when we came home, my parents were so proud and so happy that we have made it. We've made, we've made it far, you know, like our kids are actually breaking boundaries and they're going somewhere. Mm. Because it's not even when Akil is doing his triathlons and he's running and cycling, you barely see a lot of South Asians in the same sort of category, you know? Yeah. Um, and even in my table tennis, I was, I was pretty much the only girl do, doing it. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm and just trying to be the best in, in everything in school and sports. And then I yeah. moved to Prague and you just put in this dump by yourself and you just have to figure things out. You gotta learn a language. You gotta figure out how to survive in minus 20 degrees. You right. gotta figure out how to study, how to not just study, but also it was a very strict schedule. Was so we had exams almost every day, um, and so also. Why, sorry, sorry, but why? Why did you pick the Czech Republic? So I, <laughs> I when I was eighteen, um, I got a scholarship from the government of Gibraltar. Right. They offered a position, a place in Prague, and my my parents had some friends who were there already. We had a lot of good things about it. It's a very good university. It's a very reputable university. Yep. But at that time, we were so desperate to just move ahead with our lives. My parents were like, "Okay, you've you've done your school. You've done. You've taken your gap year." Mm-hmm. And during my gap year, I, I spent time in Africa and I was doing a lot of charity work and community work. And my parents said, "Okay, you've you've done your school. You've done your gap year. Now either we can send you to um, medical school." Or you can try to get a scholarship to get somewhere where, you know, we don't have to worry about the fees because my parents were in a bit of a tight position financially at that time because my, my elder brother had just graduated and he's also a pilot, which they trained him privately for. Right. You were listening. Being a pilot is not cheap. It's not cheap. No. So 
when it came when it came to my turn, I was like, well, I'm I'm just going to try and make things easier for my parents. So I got the scholarship. My school fees were paid for. I got uh, a sort of living grant for every three months, which helped me pay my rent and everything. So I said, you know, why not? Let's let's go. And we had a few family friends who were there already. So I, I took it. But at that time, it wasn't just about, well, you know, my parents were just thinking she just has to be a doctor. No one thought, okay, would she cope with the language? Would she cope living alone? Would she cope? Just remember Czech Republic is a place that is, is always, is not very friendly to vegetarians. Mm. Even just finding food was difficult. Um. So moving from my life in Gibraltar to that was was a big, big change, a big drastic change where it, I couldn't run outside. I couldn't play table tennis because it was so cold. I couldn't play table tennis because the language was difficult and I also had to study. So it took me a good couple of years to sort of find my feet and sort of understand and just come to the realization that, well, actually, I'm going to be here for six years. How can yeah. I make things easy for myself? You know, like I just have to get on with it now. Mm. Um, so I... I, I I learned the language. I joined a table tennis club. I carried on playing table tennis and things became easier. Life became a bit more fruitful, you know, I had something yep. to look forward to. I had things to do. So I went from Prague and I came to London now to work as a doctor and coming from a background where every day was quite intense, you know, where I had to, I had to think for myself, like even not even just with school, but even with table tennis, like how can I beat this person in this match? How yeah. can I become, how can I increase my speed, my agility? You know, all of these things I'm always thinking about, even with the podcast, how can I build my business? How, so, you know, there's always this self-learning involved. Mm. And then I come to London and I start working and as a junior doctor, only thing you're told to do is pretty much follow a consultant and scribe and prescribe stuff and just document of course, you're like responsible to see patients, make decisions and all that. But it just kind of felt like I was just a parrot and just doing what they told me to do. And, right. you know, there was no sort of, I don't really like using that word, but job satisfaction wasn't really, isn't, and I have to say, still isn't really there at the moment. Right. And I think probably because I'm still at a junior level, um, I'm looking to, to, to train and specialize as a general practitioner, as GP in family medicine, maybe things will change after that. But it was quite, it's been quite a big sort of turn, like 180 degree turn for me because I'm working nine to five in a place where people are telling me what to do. I didn't have much control over what's going on and I cannot because I'm at a junior level still. Yeah. Um, so then when I come home, that's why I put in all my energy into my table tennis and my podos because I feel like I need to use my brain. Right. I feel like it spark different parts of my brain because yeah. if not, then then it, it gets to the point where I'm like, well, what am I actually bringing to the world? What am I actually bringing to the table? Mm. Um, and I know it's people say yeah, being a doctor is a great thing, and you know you you do you work very hard, and we do we do we we do our jobs as we're told, and it is a difficult job. It's not easy. It's very taxing physically and emotionally. Yeah. I still feel, I still feel, and I still really believe that as young people, we have so much more to give in this world rather than just giving it to our jobs. <laughs> and we have so much more potential and yeah. so much to give. And, and we have that freedom to do that. You, you know, we, if we're financially stable, we've got a roof over our head, we've got food coming in. We don't have to worry about these things like our parents had to. And yeah. this is what yeah. my parents keep telling me that, you know, 
you're in a position now where you don't have you have to pay your rent you have to get food and you have to do all of these things but it's not a burden it's not a financial burden um i suppose there's a difference between uh sort of surviving and thriving isn't there yeah yeah and i i i don't i don't want to be going to work nine to five coming home sitting in front of the telly and doing the same thing again the day after yeah it just, just becomes it just becomes boring and monotonous and you know for me living in london right now i mean yesterday i woke up and it was sunny the day before i woke up and it was so gloomy i was like is it even morning yet yeah. <laughs> because the weather affects me so much i struggle so much with the weather and i struggled with it in prague as well for six years um my productivity changes and i'm sure it happens the same with a lot of people mm. um but just knowing that i'm sitting here in five degrees when my parents are sitting in 22 degrees enjoying a yeah. coffee by the beach yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite different you know but i think the the fine line that you have to draw is that if i lived in gibraltar now yeah i'd be in the sun i'd be with my parents it'd be great but then i also I'd be very comfortable there mm-hmm. because why would i want to sort of run a business when I'm actually quite comfortable with my life. I can yeah. do work. It's fine. But I think the good thing about moving here and even going to Prague was that I realized that this is not that I wanted more in my life. I was actually yeah. very uncomfortable where I was. Um, and you just have that uh, um, sort of fire inside you that I'm not going to accept my life going to work nine to five and being cold and just sitting at home. I'm not going to accept that. <laughs> I think that I want more in my life, and this is this is the thing that keeps me going. Yeah. So I, think, uh, the you know moving from Gibraltar to Prague to London, this whole turn has actually helped me sort of have more of a desire to help mm-hmm. other people and to do my podcast and to do my table tennis because I could have been I could be in Gibraltar right now and be very comfortable, and we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation. Well, I'm glad we are having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I suppose, so, I mean, there's something that you spoke about there. I just want to touch on maybe um, the idea of what it's like to sort of live with uh, sort of seasonal issues. Like you're talking about how the weather affects you as a person. I'm wondering if you've ever looked into things like seasonal affective disorder or anything like that. Yeah, I, I'll i be very honest. Um and it is quite bad for me to say this as a doctor. Um, I I never really looked into it during my time in Prague because I sort of said, well, I have to just get on with it. You know, what what can I do? And I never really thought about it. But I I realized that the the weather is something that affects me. But I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't think I do. I don't think I actually have SAD because um, I, I know people who do, and it, it has more of an impact on them. I can still like get through my days and find ways to encourage myself and get up every morning and be positive. So I, I don't think I'm at the sort of extreme end of the spectrum. Um, no, maybe using the disorder probably wasn't the best. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no. Not at all. I think, I think even the, the disorder as well has its own spectrum of its own. Yeah. So it's very difficult to sort of define when someone is upset or depressed or, mm. you know, I think I'm, I'm very lucky that uh, I managed to, to sort of get through it myself and find ways to enjoy life and sort of embrace the cold weather and sort of find the good, goodness in it. But yeah. um, I, I, I think my, my, my husband is also a doctor. Um, I think he struggles with it as well. But I think we both have the understanding that we both just don't like the cold weather. We both struggle 
and we both help each other, but we we've only just started to have these conversations. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Sorry. I think there's a like there's some research that's starting to come out around the issues uh, around, um, especially like if we're from a South Asian background, uh, not having enough vitamin D, and mm. sort of even access to sunlight is a huge thing for us. Yeah. So it it massively yeah. affects who we are and our mood and and how we go about um, our day. I really recommend that we we take our vitamin D supplements as yeah. South Asians every day because it's it's it's. With, with some, you, you know, my, my sister-in-law was telling me the other day she, she did a test, a blood test, and vitamin D level was so low. Yeah. It's like, it's worryingly low. Yeah. And that's when you realize that you have to take these vitamins and you have to sort of... But the thing is, I I remember a few months ago having a chat with my husband and saying, you know, I'm actually struggling to live in the UK, but I actually don't like it here. Yeah. I actually want to go back to Gibraltar. And I would never say that until like now because now I feel a bit more empowered as a woman and because you know through my podcast and speaking to people I'm like it's actually okay to talk about these things mm. um, because before for me it kind of just felt like okay Mil, you just can't be moaning just sort of get on with it um, and because that, that's how it was as, as, as a child as well like I told my mom I was upset she was like okay fine we can talk about it once you talk about it you still have to sort of get on with your studying and just have to move on mm. um, but it's only the last few months where I've actually told my husband, like, look, when she's struggling to, to, to sort of be here and live here, and he listened to me and we spoke about it and we said, well, if, if these are our circumstances, how can we make the best out of what we have? Yeah. Um, but I know there are so many people who have to sort of suffer in silence because they, they don't have anyone to talk to, they don't have anyone to, to share how they feel with. And I realized that it isn't just even in the UK we talk about SAD just read but even in India mm. a lot of people suffer when the weather turns the other way so when it becomes so in Delhi especially I'm, I'm talking about Delhi specifically I don't know what it's like yeah. in other parts of India but in around March April time when it goes from like when the winter starts to calm down and it just sort of becomes humid and yeah. becomes all of a sudden and people are like we can't go outside it's just too uncomfortable to be in this weather I know I've spoken to a lot of women who also suffer from this sort of depression right um but it's interesting because it's the opposite <laughs> it's sorry, going the opposite sorry. way it's not when it's actually when the weather's turning warmer yeah can you repeat that sorry it just broke up a moment no it's okay so it's, it's, it's quite funny because over here we talk about seasonal depression when it becomes colder but in mm. india it happens in the, in the complete opposite way it's actually when it's becoming warmer uh and a lot of these women don't have anyone to talk to because most of them are either housewives or they're taking care of the children. And it's kind of, they kind of feel like, well, we don't have time to complain. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to get on with our day, send our kids to school, take care of our husbands, take care of our father-in-law, mother-in-law. And it's, it's something that we, we need to encourage a lot more of it and speak about more. And this is why I feel like going into GP training or going into family medicine will be, will be very good for the community because I'm sure I'll get a lot of people coming in with these sorts of things mm. and saying, how do I deal with this? How do I get on with it? And a lot of it lies within empowerment, just because I feel like as men, even men, not just women, men and women, at, from a young age, we need to be able to show our kids and show our generation that expressing yourself is, is good. <laughs> it's yeah. a good, it's a healthy thing. Yeah. Um, 
and even even you know my husband and I sometimes we come back from work and if he's upset or whatever he looks like he's hasn't had a bad day make sure we talk about it because if we don't talk about it it's going to manifest in another very unhealthy way and that mm. could have even more detrimental effects but i think just even just seasonal depression put that to one side mental health is such a big issue in itself then he's so yeah. much more encouragement to talk about it i think you know in your podcast you've had guests who've spoken about it and i think this is such a great medium to spread that message yeah absolutely i mean yeah we're we're looking to um i mean we've looked to interview people across the gamut like to to discuss their their experiences of mental health um all the way from i mean things such as depression all the way through to um acute psychiatric care so um it's like we really try and um sort of spread that message as a broad broad spectrum yeah and you you just mentioned psychiatric um care um a few weeks ago i was in in the uk actually i was at a family friend's home and there's a a family member who's who's unwell um i think i think he's in the the in the process but they they think that he's schizophrenic or mm. around those, those areas and even the people this is the most like mind-boggling thing uh just breathing like i can't believe that people in our generation who are our age they are saying things like oh but he's not unwell someone's done jadu on him or yeah. someone's done on him and i'm just looking at them i'm like <laughs> you are an educated person yeah you understand science you understand i mean you you must have watched enough tv or read enough newspapers in your life to understand that these things actually exist and you know it's just a sort of thing where you have to remember that yeah we want to change people we want to change people's ideas and thoughts and we keep going back to our parents generation Yeah. We need to remember that it's still in our generation as well. Yeah. We we we're talking now and we're talking as if we we're to we're to I mean we shouldn't be talking on behalf of our generation actually because people who your next door neighbor may think that actually it's probably jadu or something, you know? And this is the this is the worrying thing actually and it's all it all goes down to what's taught in the family and what's sort of what information has been spread down the lines and i think we have to have we have to hold so much more responsibility in making sure that we put our foot down mm. and think for ourselves and we need to think for ourselves and say actually this is not right or what what can i do to educate my mom what can i do to educate my grandfather what yeah. can i do to explain to them that this is not the way to think this is not the right train of thought to have and so i what think do you, that, what do you think what do you think tethers our our generation to it like to to remaining in that way of thinking. So I've seen a lot of people in my own family and I get very frustrated myself. Um and people who are younger than me actually. They sort of stay within that same belief and stick to what their parents have told them. Mm. And I personally think that the reason that happens is because it's the easiest option. Right. Not to think outside the box, not having to fight against the norm. not having to try to step out of what people think that's actually quite easy then you're comfortable no one's going to bother you you just get yeah. on with your life you just sort of get on with it and that's it mm. i i when i was in medical school for the first couple of years there was a lot of friction between me and my parents um because i kept fighting fighting them i said but why do we have to think this way 
Yeah. Why why do we have to do this? Why do we ha- why can't we just sort of move on from what your ancestors taught you because in this generation or on this day and age certain things are not feasible. Yeah, certain things that I cannot do because I live in a in a world now where it's just not possible. Even right. just a few months ago, it was Garvachot in, in October. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom, I said, I cannot work a 13-hour shift in the hospital and not drink water. Mm. <laughs> like, that's just not going to happen. I'm, I'm happy to do Garvachot. I'm happy yeah. to my husband's long life, whatever. I'm happy to do all of that. But drinking water is something that I, I need to do because I will actually collapse. And yeah. then I, I will be able to do my job. So what's mm-hmm. the point? Mm-hmm. So then my mom actually said, like, you know, Mildred, good point. Have some, have some water. And if you need to eat, have some fruits throughout the day and that will help you going. And that was when my mom actually realized, okay, Mina's living in a completely different generation. She's not a housewife. Yeah. She needs to actually earn money and go, go to work. So mm. a few years ago, my mom, my mom would have never said that because she was so adamant that we had to do certain things that our ancestors did. But it's only now that she's realized that actually we live in a generation where certain things cannot be done. So we just have to try and modify it. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what you, what, sorry, a lot of what you've been discussing is about paradigm shift, and it's about challenging yeah. paradigms. Oh, and I think, I think now my parents sort of understand where I'm coming from, and we're on the yeah. same page. But it's taken years and years of hard work, and a lot of fights and misunderstandings, a lot of tears, a lot of, but it took effort. Yeah, when I tell other people about the effort that I've gone through. They're just like, nah, screw it, man. <laughs> like whatever. I'm, I'm just gonna live just do what my parents tell me is do what I have to do I'm mm. gonna get married anyway and then I'll just live my, my own life mm. and I think that I personally see this a lot in India I see this in a lot of kids in India and I think that has to do with the education system in India because the education education system in the UK at least allows us to think for ourselves and makes us think a bit for ourselves and we don't just have to do ratta and like you know, read the book and then regurgitate it. Mm-hmm. Um, in India, that's the education system. So I think that's probably why they feel they have to sort of behave that way. Um, and they also live in different environments where they live in bigger families. So for me, it was just fighting my mom and dad and fighting my brother or whatever, just like three or four people and that's it. Right. But when you live in families, it can become quite difficult. And... When I was in Prague, I lived away from my family. So any I wouldn't have to suffer much much of the consequences because we just hang up the phone and that's it. Mm. But I'm sure if I had to live with my parents, I'm sure it would be much more difficult for me to to sort of have that attitude. So I think a lot of a lot of people in our generation tethered to these ideas because for them they know that if we don't, our life might actually get quite difficult. Mm. And we don't want to go through that. We just don't want to go through that up and down of roller coaster ride of emotions. So we'll just we'll just do what they say and happily nod and smile, and that's it. Do you think that though that leads to um, like issues around like identity and things like that? Oh, definitely. Um, and I think this is what this is when kids start to have to put on two different faces actually at home and outside yeah. the home. Yeah. Uh, because at home they have to pretend that they are what their parents want them to be. And mm. then there's so much inside them that wants to be a different person. Yeah. There's something inside that says, actually, I want to, I want to do this. I want to go out. I want to go out with my friends. I want to, I want to try, you know, going to a nightclub. I want to try even meeting other people. 
or trying new projects, but I can't do that in front of my parents because they won't allow me to. And this is when it becomes unhealthy. And I think that we need to be very self-aware of when our issues at home manifest in an unhealthy way. Um, Mm. And I think, I think a lot of kids don't realize that mainly because they're so bogged down and just trying to escape what, what they're in that they don't, they don't actually realize what's going on until a few years down the line where they'll actually, I've had to lie to my parents or I've had to Mm. behave in a different way. Um, And it's only a few years later down the line, they actually realize how it's manifested. Um, But I think, I think now we, you know, there's, it's much different now compared to when I was younger, just read, because we have so much more uh, access to YouTube videos, podcasts, and people who are encouraging us to be who we want to be, that you have a bit of empowerment, you know? Um, So it's a bit easier now. And I think uh, I I really encourage young people to to seek for advice when they're not sure what to do, because there's enough enough around you even if your next door neighbor with your best friend can't do it you know reach out to your seek forgiveness podcast reach out to me we'll try mm. help you where we can um mm. because this is what we're here to do um mm. but just make sure it doesn't manifest in an unhealthy way because because the thing is it might not manifest in an unhealthy way at that time as a 12 year old 13 year old maybe when you're 30 years old it might come out in such a way that it might actually affect your life in, in a very difficult way yeah, I find that a lot in my clinical work with people. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, I think there's there's a lot with regards to, um, I mean, especially the way you've been talking about it, so, but authenticity, mm-hmm. um, being authentic to yourself and being true to yourself and being honest to yourself, it carries it carries you a lot further than hiding, I think. Oh, definitely. And I think we all need to appreciate that we are all individuals mm. in a unique sense. Um, just be, I, I look up to my mom so much she is one of the, the greatest women I know because she sacrificed so much for her family um, she did so much to raise my brother and I to be the people we are today mm. and I, I try to sort of follow that but I know I can never be that but I don't put that pressure on myself I say well okay I can follow every, all the good things that my mom has sort of passed on and try try work on it, but I am also my own person. Yeah, I'm also my own person who's going to start my own family and teach my kids different things. And we're all we're all unique in our own way. And not only do we need to celebrate ourselves, I think our peers and our colleagues and our fam- family and friends need to appreciate that as well. Because just because I'm not the the sister or the the friend or the daughter in law that you you wanted or you've seen or in movies that you dreamed of. Mm. celebrate the good things about what we have around us and whether whether your daughter-in-law or your sister-in-law doesn't speak Hindi or Punjabi that's okay teach them be encouraging you know there are other good qualities that they have and we need to celebrate that so it isn't just on us as well to celebrate ourselves but we have to sort of bring that out in other people around us and I think if we continue to do that then we can celebrate everybody's uniqueness in a much nicer way i very much agree absolutely mm. so it's yeah it's about looking at sort of not only what's going on sort of interpersonally but what's going on intrapersonally as well and yeah and i think, I think it's to... not even it's not even just within our culture just breathe i think we need to be more open in celebrating other cultures around us yeah. um our 
Pakistani neighbors, our Muslim friends, our German friends, you know, we everyone. Mm. And that, that's the beauty about this world that we live in and the life that we 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 get to live because our our families and have moved away from India or Pakistan from wherever they've come from and they've exposed us to all of this. Yeah. We're exposed and you know we I always say this, we we are probably the generation who will always have the biggest gap between us and our parents because there's been such a drastic change in technology and education in the last in the last few decades. Mm. We are we're educated enough, we're, we're we're bright enough, we're smart enough to to celebrate everything around us. And not even that, let's not forget that just because we're we're Hindu or Punjabi or we're Sikh or Muslim we have to also offer our helping hand to other people and say, okay, how can I help you? How yeah, can yeah. I do something for you today? Because, yeah. you know, I see this in the hospital a lot, just for, I remember a few days ago, I went into, I was in working in accident and emergency. I went to see a patient. First thing he said to me was, go back to your country. And I just burst out laughing because all the other 20 doctors working around me were also from India. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, the next is going to come in, you're going to say, go back to your country as well. But you just, I just laughed and I just had to sit down and explain to him, like, look, I'm the doctor, I'm here to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we start to take that hate and try to turn it into love and kindness, then we can, I'm sure that guy probably walked out of the hospital that day thinking he was a fool. Like, why did I say that to this poor girl? Because I actually, Mm -hmm. I didn't react. And I think that's when I realized that not only do we need to just help educate our own society as hindus but others as well we have that yeah. responsibility to say to people look i'm actually this person this is where i'm from this is where my family is from and this is what i'm doing in the uk and this is what i'm here to do for you yeah because it's very easy to just put our feedback and say oh they're being racist but we also have a responsibility in educating and standing up and saying, actually you know what how can i help this person yeah yeah so you think there's a common ground in uh, reaching out to other people and yeah, if, yeah. You, if you if you build bridges with people, then then there's a possibility that you can help change minds. Mm-hmm. And I think now we, as you know, we're all we're all dotted around the world, and we're facing lots of different. We're we're, we're experiencing lots of new things, and this is the moment we have to open ourselves up. And I think actually, you know, doing by doing this, we get a new perspective on life, mm. and we see life through a different lens. Where, okay. My ancestors may have come from Punjab, Lahore, Pakistan. But where were they before that? Where were they before that? And you just look at the world in such a different way that we're all interconnected somehow. And uh, that's that's the beauty of 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 life, actually. And this is the beauty of having this access to podcasts and to YouTube channels and videos where we can see life through a different lens and then appreciate what we actually have around us. And it actually is really, really beautiful if we if we take the time to to look into it um mm. because sometimes it's so easy to just say oh yeah okay fine um i'm from a hindu family punjabi family yeah whatever just get on with it yeah but other cultures and you see what they do and you actually realize that hey i actually come from a really cool place my culture is actually really beautiful yeah um, and i think the more we celebrate that the more comfortable we are in our own skin and the more comfortable we are in being being who we are as a British Asian and we'll never figure out how Asian we need to be or how British we need to be. There's no line between it. Yeah. As long as we are aware of where we're from, I think that's the most important thing. 
I think there has to be a fluidity in in the way we are as as people, um, mm-hmm. because we do straddle so many different uh, um, elements. Like there are so many different facets to who we are. We have to yeah. straddle all these different things. It's like a, like we're working on different spectrums all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll, we'll keep learning new things about ourselves. Mm. That's the beauty of it. Um, just, yeah, I remember when I went to Prague at the age of 19, I thought, yeah, I know myself really well. Like, I'm totally mature. I know everything about life. <laughs> I laugh about <laughs> it because I'm, I'm almost 27. I'm a married woman. And I, I know I have so much more to learn about life. Mm. Um, and as long as we're aware of that, we realize that we need to keep learning now, we have so much potential to bring such a big and beautiful change to this world, not just for our community, but for, for others around us as well. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, I'm just aware that we're sort of coming up to time. Yeah, yeah. I, I just looked at the time and realised we were <laughs> passing 45 minutes. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. It's been, it's been wonderful having a conversation yeah. with you. Um, yeah. So I know you mentioned your old podcast. Is it still available for people to hear? Yeah, so um, you can if you just go on Google and you type Desi Outsiders, mm. you'll find uh, all, all the episodes there. Um, my new podcast, which will be launching in, in a couple of weeks, is Meenal's World Podcast. Um, right. I'll, I'll give you the website, then you can put it in the show details, the show notes. Yeah, brilliant. Um, people can can have a look and see what what I'm trying to do actually, and and hopefully if people want to join this sort of revolution. People can get in touch with me, and and I'm as I said, I'm always happy to. My emails are always open. My Instagram is always open. Anybody who wants to have a chat, anybody who wants to meet up in London, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always happy to to speak to to anybody who'd like to know more about what they can do to be part of our change, the change that we want to bring. Brilliant. Do you have a social media account that you can plug? Yes, you can find me on Instagram on Minal Viz. So that's M E N A L V I Z. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Meenal's World, and uh, yeah, those are the only two social accounts I have. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, excellent. And we'll put we'll put everything else. For some reason, I thought I had more, but I guess I'm not that social savvy <laughs> as I thought I was. <laughs> well, we'll put everything up in the show notes as well. Really? So. Um, and I'm I'm going to subscribe to your podcast, or um, I'm already looking forward to it. I'm going to catch up with the old ones as well. So. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's great to you just read. And also, just before we finish, I just want to congratulate you and your team for all the great work that you're doing, um, and thank you as well for for bringing this change and you know working together to to help everyone in our society. Um, I really really appreciate all the work that you do and your team is doing as well. So just wanted oh. to say thank you. Thank you. I'll pass it on. Well, they'll they'll all hear it, but yeah, I'll yeah. definitely pass it on. And also, yeah. I mean, we all need to work interconnectedly. I think that's that's the massive message that I've taken away from our conversation today, is that we need to think about working in a more interconnected way. Absolutely, and I think just for even people out there who are listening, who are starting their own businesses and starting their own podcast or YouTube channel, you're not doing things just for yourself all the time. Be that person to help someone else. Be that mm. person to put your arm out and say, "How can I help you?" Because yeah. this is how this is how we can all work together. We're not all individuals trying to create a change. We're all doing the same thing, actually. And I think that's the beauty of of this: that all these podcasts that we have, all these YouTubers that we have, are all going through with the same idea. Mm-hmm. So let's help each other and let's 
let's let's offer our our skills to to whoever needs it absolutely agree okay brilliant it was wonderful thank speaking you. to you thank you for having me just read that's okay it's not a problem so take care of yourself and uh, and i'll speak to you soon to donate to seek forgiveness we'd normally ask you to donate at ko-fi.com forward slash seek forgiveness for three pounds but we're currently fundraising for a book so please find the link in the show notes and donate to the gofundme page seek forgiveness of a target of five thousand pounds to reach in order to get this to publication and all donations help please share the link and donate if you can thank you